Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. Sitting in with me here on the Tour Coach Podcast, I'm actually, Jamie, you'd appreciate this. I took a few days off. I'm driving with my dog back from the Keys up to uh, teach a little golf for the weekend, so I had a little downtime. But uh had a few beers myself down there. And uh, one of the things, when I first met you, I obviously knew who you were. Great teacher, long list of accomplishments instruction-wise. Met you, I think one of the first times we ever really talked was at the British Open. And one of the things dear to my heart, we turned it into a little side action. We, we started betting beers. Lucas and Patrick were playing, uh, I think, I don't know were they in the same group. I knew we were in the same group at the U.S. Open, but we bet beers, and we've been doing that since, kind of like a Nassau bet. And I think I owe you a couple beers now, but uh, appreciate you sitting in with me, bud. Yeah, first of all, too, nothing more near and dear than my heart than a cold beer. I can't drink very many of them anymore, but I do like the I like I do like the idea. There's a little action in golf, which is fun, and right. uh, I've enjoyed getting to know you. And that, that was, you know, we've had couple magic times, I think how lucky we are to get to do what we do for a living, Tony, and walk around and watch the best players in the world play that we're helping to influence the way that they go. And I think that the day that we spent the most time was at Port Rush, and, you know, the yeah. it was a kind of a rainy day, and just what Ireland should have been, it was really fun. And Lucas, I think the world of Lucas, and I love Coop, and I like what you do as well, too, so it's nice to get to know you a little bit better. And I think you were actually up on the beer count for a while there, and then uh, you got, and then you, you got, later. yeah, you got blitzed the last couple of times, so we might be up a bit as well too. <laughs> we have yet, <laughs> no. we have, we have yet to enjoy one together yet. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and one of the first times we talked, I remember was at the hotel lobby bar. We keep coming back to this beer and bar thing, but at the hotel lobby bar at the U.S. Open at Pebble, and we got to talking about how, you know. We actually go out there and watch the guys play, right? There's, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that's important as a tour coach. Like, I just, you know, everybody's like, oh, you go in there Monday, Tuesday, you leave Wednesday. Man, like, I think it's important a good amount of the time to, to, to follow them around and watch what really happens on the golf course. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that would be number one principle. And, we, you know, at this point, it seems like we haven't really taken on, and I'm sure we'll talk more about our teaching in a bit, we haven't taken on a player really in a long, long time. And, so all these calls we get from players are, you know, hey, I, I want to coach, and who would you recommend if you're not going to do it? Or different coaches that are calling us and saying, hey, how have you got to do all this stuff, and how can I get better at what we're doing? And I was going to tell you, Tony, I watch golf. If I work 340 days a year, which it about seems like, if I watch golf 340 days a year, I'm watching golf on the golf course 340 days a year. I'm on the golf course more than we are on the range, and I think that dynamic is super important. And unfortunately, there was a time in what we were doing where I think everybody imagined that you just ran in, fixed somebody's left wrist at the top of the swing, and that was that. And, you know, we're playing a game, and you're teaching people to play, and I think that's at every level. I have an instructor in San Diego that I've known for a long time named Bob Matson. He literally uh-huh. starts, he starts beginner from 20 yards away from the hole, and has them hit a little pitch and has them see how many times it takes them to get in the hole, and that's how he starts them teaching, and I love that. So yeah. we're teach, 
teach them to play a game. We're not swing instructors. That's the last thing that we do. And at the end of the day, not sounding corny, but Bill Belichick is watching the Patriots on Sunday play. You know, he's not just <laughs> practicing with them and then not watching the game, you know. Yeah, my old mentor, Hank Johnson, uh, who I worked for yeah. forever. And, you know, Hank, I remember one time told me, you know, like every other sport, you know, the coach is with the players during practice, then they're also with them during the game. And yeah. golf's one of you where, or not all the time as much like that, but yet I think at the professional level, and I think if, well, not just professional level, but if we're really trying to help people play better, and I think we got to spend time watching them play golf. 100%. Yeah, and I, I like the idea that we can't talk to them while they're actually playing. I think the game already takes long enough, and that would take forever if you did that. But how many times have you had one of your players say, hey, I'm not hitting it very well into a left win? You get on the driving range, and he hits it just fine into a left win, and then you get on the golf course, and they're really maybe not even having trouble with hitting it into a left win. They're more having a trouble with a carry bunker that they're trying to hit it over or the angle of the second shot that they're trying to set the shot up for. And that's subconsciously in their mind, and that's causing the issue as opposed to a swing issue that they're not able to hit into a left wind. Because at that level that they play at, normally it's not the latter; it's more the former. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I don't feel like many of them when they come to us, like you're making when they're at that level, they're already good. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, how much how much swing stuff or changing do you do with your guys? I think you know our background pretty well. I think it's a different dynamic, but because most of the time, you know, a tour coach is getting somebody after they become a tour player, and then they're coming to them to try to make them go from that big step from good to great. And almost everybody that we've ever worked with has kind of been homegrown from the time that they were in junior golf. Even John Cook and Paul Guidos and Amy Alcott, mm-hmm. we, grew up, we grew up playing golf with them. So we've, right. we've seen the whole thing. So the blueprint, most of the time, we're already laid down. You know, for example, when I got John Cook, I inherited him from Venturi, who basically learned from Byron Nelson and and Hogan. And, you know, I felt like I was getting the gold standard there. So I was really going to go into a different mechanic to change what Ben and Byron or Ken, Ken did. That wouldn't have made much sense. So I think the idea there is figuring out what the player's best blueprint in, is and trying to do that. With everybody that we have now, you know, we have a blueprint for what they're supposed to look like, and we've seen when they're their very best, and normally when they're off a little bit, it's normally the same habits. And then I kind of love and hate this word in our business, but whenever a tour coach gets fired, you'll always go, well, what happened? And they'll go, well, the player told me what we were doing was getting stale. And that's always an interesting comment, right? Like stale because it was working, stale because you kept saying it the same way. Because if it's science, then, you know, you're still adding the physics up in order to make the science the right way. So if it's your job to say it different ways so it doesn't become stale, yeah, obviously obviously that's part of your deal. But most of the time with that coach that gets fired because it was stale, when you talk to the player, they either go back to the coach or they end up being with the coach and doing the same thing that they used to do that made them play best. That's kind of funny, huh? Exactly. How do you fight that stamina? I, I hear that a lot, right? And again, similar in ways to you, you know, a lot of the folks I've taught, you know, the Andy Ogletrees, the Robbie Sheltons, I've taught them since they were young, high school. Yeah, that's great. Older, that's great. You know, and, yes. and, and so, yeah. like, things that they've done and that we work on are, I mean, it's the same, you know, Andy Ogletree at Augusta, we worked on his grip. I mean, it wasn't rocket scientists, rocket science, 
you know, like it's it's always the same things. How do you? I mean, you've had such long-lasting relationships, which I love and and I think so important. How do you fight that, and and how do you get the player to continue to understand that? Hell, I mean, they're gonna keep doing the same things, and it's and it's okay if it's the same information. Uh, I guess that's a two-part question. As far as the relationship part of it, that's just part of you. I think you picking good people you want to work with and then you helping them to become better people. And then, you know, you developing a relationship that has integrity in there and candidness in there. And they understand that no matter what, you're doing whatever you can to try to make them be the very best that they can. And um, that's a lot right there. That's the life portion of it. And there's a lot in it. You know, there's a lot more in it again because the swing part and the stroke part and the chipping part the rhythm part, that part of it is all pretty easy and pretty simple. So I think the relationship is just a 24-7 deal. And you know your players. I mean, I know your players, and you know my players. They're up and down things. There's different things that go on with them personally, injury-wise, whatever. And those are the times when you, you, you find best on how the person's going to be as a person and how you're trying to influence that. On the second part of that question, as far as the stale goes, I love the comment of when with a teacher. And when we're teaching young teachers or teachers that are trying to find out or pick our brain a little bit, I also use that word when. When are you going to say what you're going to say? Are you going to say are you going to be the type of coach that just as soon as you say it, you spit it out? Because it's not a lot of times what you say because you're smart enough to say the right thing. It's when you say it and then how you say what you're going to say when you say it, if that makes any sense. And, you know, I I know, for example, like, with Patrick, like, when we're working really hard, like, we're best away from everything by ourselves, grinding a little bit, working on some mechanics. When we're at tournament time, we're more in just tune-up time. But we're at a tournament and things are going off, like, he'll say, let's go. And then we'll go to the range and, you know, that's when we go to, go to work. And a lot of times when we do that, we're putting the track man away and the foresight away because those are more just reminding things for him. I want to talk about TrackMan and Foresight in a minute, but those are just reminding things for him. But when we go to work, we go to work on, hey, these are your procedures and these are your fundamentals, and this is the pace that you make, and this is what we need to do. And then we give them good keys, and within a couple minutes, they have it figured out, and then we just keep emphasizing that. But then remember, he's got to play golf the next day. We're at a tournament, and if it's the week before, he's got to play next week. So now we want to build him into hitting shots to spots as opposed to worrying about positions and techniques and arms and knees and so on and so forth. Perfect. Yeah, I, I agree a, a thousand percent with the win. And I think that the, to me, the art of teaching is, and the better you are at this, you get better at time in the win, <laughs> you know? It, like, yeah. Yeah. And it is an art for sure. You know, and I think that like, also I think, you know, you, you can peruse social media or, or and, and different things and, and everybody could take a shot at a coach whose guy's not playing good. And yet I always am careful because it's like, you know, you never know all the millions of things going on around a player. And those things, daily life, mean far more important than where the club face is going back. I mean, as far as how they play for two weeks. 100%, Tony. Yeah, 100%. I get these calls all the time, especially from young teachers that say, you know, what do you do about social media? You know, what do you – what are you doing about that? You know, what are you doing when somebody says something bad or you don't like what they say? And I'm like, well, I just fixed that a long time ago. You know, I never got it. So what do you mean? <laughs> I don't have I don't have any social media. Well, what do you mean you don't have social media? You got an Instagram account? No. 
You know, you got Facebook? Nope. You know, you got Twitter? Nope. You got TikTok? Nope. I don't have any of those things. So at the end of the day, that, you know, social media is not going to help Luke List play better. No. It's not going to help me coach him better. All it is is a way for society to click in with each other. If it was more than golf and we really had something to say and that was the median that we're going to pick out, I would have somebody else do that for me. But that's certainly not going to influence the way that we teach by any means. No. So you touched on foresight, track man. What do you think about technology? You've been doing this a long time. Been with players a long time. Mentioned, you know, John Cook, those guys. I mean, has it changed anything you've done? Is it changed the way you teach or what you teach? Here's the interesting. Somebody asked me this the other day in an article. Like, they were saying, like, how did you know when you could do this? Well, I saw what the swing looked like. You know, like I could stand 200 yards away and see that the club was two degrees close to the plane line. And, I, you know, that's not something that you learn. That's something either you got or you're not. And if you're trying to teach people that can't do that, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to teach people that. You can teach people where the plane line is and how it would look relative, but whether you're able to see that before you even knew what the plane line, line was, I mean, that's something either you got or not. So I felt we're fortunate to do that. But I'll tell uh, coaches this. I think you see us do this a lot when we teach, Tony. We teach kind of, you know, my players call it the Jamie spot. The people that watch us do it, sometimes they call it the danger spot because we'll watch our player from parallel to them and up in front of them a little bit, looking back without looking at the golf ball. You know, I think you all see me that at a tour event when we were, mm-hmm. we were practicing. I like to get up in front of them, look back, and not watch where the ball is going just to watch the yeah. way that the cl- club's delivered there. So, I think when you're a coach, if you can't do that and can't tell where the ball is going without looking to see where the ball is going, you probably can't do this at the highest level. And then I would also say with track band, like if you can't stand in the area that I just talked about, look back and see where the ball is going and tell somebody what the numbers or track man are before the numbers are spit out or they look at it, you don't know what you're doing. Or if you, on the, if you reverse engineer that, if you can't look at the numbers on TrackMan without seeing the swing and know what the club was doing, you probably can't do this at the highest level. So I love, you know, Foresight's more just for we're using it for because it's so accurate, 200 yards and in for actual how far the ball is flying. And, you know, you got to – the weight of the shot is probably one of the most important things. But I love that as far as learning how to coach. Like, okay, I watched the player. I watched him swing. And then I was able to say – this is where the club was relative to the path. This is what the launch was. This is what the spin was. And this is what it flew like. And point in example, like Luke List really good at, you know, for a big giant guy that can make a bunch of speed at knowing exactly what his ball does in the middle the minute it's off his club. And when Luke is on point, it's really pretty. He has a lovely motion. And you've watched it a lot. Not only does it, mm-hmm. it look simple, but he's making a bunch of power. When we first started to work with TrackMan, I remember one morning it was really foggy and one of our pros was out there with us and he was running the TrackMan because I didn't even know how to turn the thing on yet, and um, which I'm not much better at now. And then every that's time why we, we have some people. That's right. That's exactly right. Every time that the ball was hit, either Luke or I would tell you how far it was flying and then I would tell them what the dynamics of what TrackMan would say through it. And I, I think that's a really, really good thing to reverse engineer how you see it and how well you see it. What we're saying might help not help the, the average guy that's listening to this podcast. It certainly will help the golf geek and make him intrigued. 
and then hopefully it will help some teachers that hear this and make them think about this a different way, like how they have to go back and use that as a tool to make them better as opposed to make their players better. That has to happen in that order. Fascinating. You touched on fundamentals earlier. You mentioned fundamentals. So I do have some social media, and I, and I but I use it. I get pissed out on it more than I do anything. I get frustrated. I see folks that talk about what they – people will argue that there's, you know, basically the you know, fundamentals aren't important, the old fundamentals. I still hold on to the – you know, if you, I don't see very many players, if any, out there that have shitty fundamentals. Right and and I mean yeah. I still think you know and I think that's important. You talked about I think it's important for a player to understand their fundamentals, what's important for them, and what their setup and their posture and their grip and so on and so forth is. Yeah, I guess I got two answers to that question. One would be Correct. just kind of on the basic thing would be if you took the top twenty coaches in the game, of which I feel like you're one of them, and we're all out there together and we're doing this week after week. And we all were sitting around and had one of those beers that we talked about that we haven't had yet. And you had to say, who would you take a lesson from? And you asked them, everybody would tell you who they would take a lesson from. And they might be able to order it one through 20. And we all know we've been doing this long enough. You can walk down the range and go, yeah, that's somebody that I'd probably work with because he's standing next to his art. You know, he's standing next to the, the painting that he's helping to paint. And obviously that he's not hitting any shots, but there's his work. And then more importantly, let's look at the stats next to that, you know, and let's see how effective that they are. I mean, our work is basically showing for ourselves. You don't have to put it on social media. The tour is keeping stats and it's keeping track of whether they win and lose and how much money they're making. And then just from an aesthetics, you know what it's supposed to look like. So you can tell Luke is really good at their fundamentals, especially when you got people that have been working with people for a long time. As far as different ways to swing, there isn't one set of fundamentals. Correct. You know, there, it's, there's infinite ways. To, it's a square club and a round ball, so there's infinite ways to do that. And that part kind of fascinates me. Like, would you have been the guy that changed Fred Couples, you know, arrangement or Jim Furyk's arrangement, you know? Or would you have been the guy that tried to change Bubba? And probably more poignant on that, and I'm going to start telling this more, but I haven't told it a lot, this story, but – Years ago, when being influenced by Mac O'Grady, the short version of this story is I was kind of doing the same thing. I said, we were watching somebody from like two, 300 yards away, and I told Mac where the club was relative to the plane line, and it was a couple degrees closed with a player that looked really good. So Mac said, you can't see that from here. So we walked up, and sure enough, it was a couple degrees closed, and he kind of nudged me, and he says, wow, that's amazing. You can see that. And I said, well... I just kind of basically realized that I could see that when I started to tell people I could see it, and we kind of laughed at that. And he goes, so what would you do with that? And I go, oh, I don't know. I might square it up a little bit. And he basically slapped me on the hand, and he told me this. This is in the middle 80s. Don't ever take a really athletic person that has a really closed backswing and then blocks it on the way through perfectly. That's super athletic and do it time after time. Don't change that because you want to be have it perfectly orthodox to the plane line. That would be a big, giant mistake. There's going to be somebody that grows up and plays that's going to be like the best athlete in the game, and he's going to be the best player in the game, and he's going to play with a really closed backswing and a really open club base at impact. And, you, and he predicted Dustin Johnson before Dustin was born. That's fascinating. Pretty amazing, right? Yeah. So yeah, really. There's a lot to that right there in, in a bunch of spots. So I guess – yeah, I love really good fundamentals. There's nothing about that. Nobody loves more to see just kind of the orthodox person. But 
I mean, every sport, you know, Rod Carew is one of the best hitters in baseball. You would never taught anybody to swing the bat like that. And, Correct. you know, then, then you watch Ted Williams at a baseball and it looked completely orthodox, but they were both, you know, 300, 340 hitters for their whole life. I mean, there's a lot of golf like that as well, too. Look at everybody in the top 10. Every one of those guys swing better, you know, and nobody swings like Patrick. Nobody swings like Xander. Those guys spend a lot of time together, and they, they swing completely different. In a weird way, they think they're really same, the same in a lot of ways, but they swing completely different. That's fascinating. And I, I always say, somebody asked me in an interview recently, and, that like, you know, what are, you know, what are you most proud of? Or it was along the lines. And I said, I think the thing I'm most proud of is if I put all the guys I teach up, like, in a line that play for a living, they all swing different. They all hit different shapes. I have a couple guys that draw it. One, as you know, draws it a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got a guy hits it straight. I've got a guy that curves it left to right a pretty good bit. And I think, yeah. but again, it goes back to something we touched on a little bit ago. I think as much as there is science, I think there's still a, a real art to teach it at that level. Well, yeah, and if you wanted to know just for me the, the mathematical equation or geometry equation or whatever you want to say for what we do is, is science, you know, times the rhythm equals art, you know. So mm-hmm. use use whatever science you are to make the fundamentals, to make the square club and the round ball, make the ball fly the right way. Then you got to sequence it. So that's a whole different mind thing. That's a groove and a rhythm and a lightness and a comfortability or a bunch of speed or whatever you're doing in order to make the sequencing. And then in order to be able to play, that's the art. And, and there's an art to playing. Like when you watch a really good player play, you know, it looks like they're making their art. Like if you had to ask me about, you know, we're fresh off of Patrick's win at Zozo, which it's, you know, we everybody says that we're doing this, you know, to win. We are doing this to win. And that's that's the time when you feel best about your player when you get to watch them do their stuff. But the beauty of watching that with no other fans that day other than the people that were in the houses that Sherwood is, he was artful from the minute he got on the first tee, you know. He had a sweet big draw, you know, in front of the green and then a little cutting pitch to a couple feet and, a slippery little putt down the hill and started off. And, you know, he hit, when we were done, he hit 30 shots and, you know, so many putts that were just super artful, which were the perfect combination between science and rhythm to make his art in order to add up and get himself a W, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. Talk about your other job. You're you're still at a club. I mean, yeah. Not, uh, yeah. I, I love that. I love that. I, I like and same as teaching, I, I, I like I still enjoy teaching kids and teaching fifteen handicappers. To the, like I still enjoy. I think maybe it's just because I like being around people so much. You know, enjoy that. I, I'm curious how you put it all together and why you enjoy so much all the aspects of what you do. Yeah, it was interesting. Somebody, I, you know, one of the members I was walking around at Augusta that we know really well was saying, well, like, you've done, like, everything in the golf business. What are you going to do next? And I'm like, no, we're in love with what we do. And so, you know, we're going to coach golf on tour with um, 10 players that are, you know, running a couple generations. we got some young kids that are coming up as well, too. We've all kind of raised them since they were young, and that's that portion. And then we are the CEO of uh, old – 110-year-old country club called Virginia Country Club in Long Beach, California. It was originally a Willie Watson design, and then it was the last golf course that Tillinghouse ever touched. And we've had the ability to, you know, we started as an assistant here, came back 21 years ago to be the CEO, and uh, we get to see the oversee, oversee the whole property. We're working with an amazing leadership group that has been super gracious with us and to give us a bunch of autonomy to 
basically restore and then in a weird way be a really progressive beachy country club in a progressive world with an old vintage club. And then I'm working with a bunch of ladies and gents that I've kind of, a lot of them I've known since they were junior golfers and we taught them when they were young and they're on our teaching academy or they're working at some aspect in the club. So we're getting to, not getting to teach Mrs. Havocamp anymore, but we're getting to talk about coaching and teaching with all our people. We don't like the word assistant, so they're all golf pros that work for us in the golf spot, and they're all doing an unbelievable job for coaching. And we built this beautiful culture at our club where when I first got here, the same guy was winning the club championship, and now you got probably 30 guys that could can break par. Our, we had a kid named Tori Edwards that we, we started teaching. He went to school with John Merrick, and we started helping him with his golf a long, long time ago. Not a lot. He's a really athletic guy. He's the only player in the history of golf to shoot 58 twice. And then our on that, think about what I just said. He shot 58, 58 twice. twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then at the club, we are the California Scratch League golf champion. So it's just an amazing golf culture and a cool spot. Tony, I'd love to have you when you, uh, the next time that you're in Southern California, you come down to our spot, bring Lucas and, Spend the day. I think you really. I think you'd love to see it. It's a cool spot that you can hear in our voice. We're super proud of it, and you know we're in love with the fact that we're trying to get better every day, even through this crazy pandemic. You know, one of the things is as when I took on the challenge, or not the challenge, but the job at Frederica, was to create that culture where you have. I always thought that if you could surround good players and really good instruction, and and then a desire to make it to, for everybody to get better you can create a really special place bingo and, and, yeah and, and and you know i'm fortunate to be part of what we're building there and it's yeah you like got a great spot and i really want to come see that when i come out west um, and yeah. so just get ready for me on the west coast swing yeah that needs to it and that in my opinion that needs to happen in every club there's something i mean people come to the golf course and want to play because they get better and you know Teaming, you know, having tour players around here, which is somebody that's just learning the game. It helps everybody to say, this is what I want to do, especially the young kids. So we're super proud of that. And, you know, we're, we're, we get to make a living this unbelievable game that we've been around for a long, long time. But the game, in my opinion, even like I said, with the crazy world, it, it's stronger than ever is the one thing going on with COVID that if you probably can do safe golf, we've been a big proponent of that with the PGA. And uh, I think we can do that. We proved that we could do that this year on the tour with what we're doing in the bubble. So mm-hmm. we're looking for golf to get even stronger and stronger. And you and I know this, the players, they're better than ever. I mean, think about that. No matter how hard the golf courses are, they're shooting 20 under every week, you know. Even par doesn't even, you know, make a cut anymore. You have to be a couple, three under to make a cut. So the game is getting better at every level. And every level, not only on the PGA Tour, but the Champions Tour and and then I love the LPGA Tour and what they have going, and I love the Symmetra Tour, and it's just it's become a beautiful game where men and women can play it for the rest of their life, you know? Awesome. It's a, it's a wonderful sport, and I'm so happy for you, too, that you have a place that ties into that culture and grow in the game and being part of that because it's – and I'm fortunate as well because not every place in golf has been that way. I've worked in a place that – was great to me but didn't get that and and it's but that it's rare right not every place gets trying to build that culture they need a they need a tony like you to be the pied piper of golf and the to promote that i really think that's a big thing you know the pros all spent an important part of the business ever since they left the pro you know actually come in the locker room at a country club a hundred years ago <laughs> but the, the 
But pro is a big part of the business. But the dying breed club of just the staunchy club that's not going to think outside the box, I think it's a dying breed. I think it's got to be an inclusive game, and it's got to be more pro- progressive. And we all use this phrase. It's pretty subjective. But great clubs have, like, an intangible mystique. There's just something you can feel about them. You know, when we were walking around Port Rush, there's something about Port Rush you can feel. I mean, being at Augusta this this year, it is Augusta, but there were no people out there. I thought the the fans were what made the Masters, but the Masters were super cool this year, weren't they? By the oh, way, and I want I wanted to ask you a question if I could in this. I got course. to see I I got to see that little moment with Andy uh, Ogletree and Tiger. You know, I got to see that little oh. come on look, come on let's go, which was super cool. And and I know this is like. Not that it's not going to be fun if Andy Ogletree becomes the best player in the world 25 years from now, but this is really the fun time, right? This is when he's, he's you know, just turning pro and he's, be, you know, he's starting to figure out who he is. Why don't you talk about that moment a little bit? That was super, super cool. You know, for me, uh, yes, super cool. You know, the moment that started it for me was, you know, on the range prior to going to that putting green. He hit an eight iron. He hit his driver and everything. He always you know, he gets done hit his driver. Then he hit one eight iron. He hits his eight iron and he turns to him and he goes, "Whoa!" And I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and he goes, "It just hit me. I'm about to tee off in the Masters and play with Tiger Woods." Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, you're about that's to do great. it." And, and you know, you talked about you know Patrick won and. And, and how proud you are and, and all of that. And, I mean, it was the same way, watching him go up there and, and see all the things he dreamed of as a kid. And, and if you've coached or you've played this game, and my gosh, who hasn't dreamed of teeing up in the Masters, you know, as an amateur and, and playing with the best player of their generation? I mean, it was magical watching. And then, to me, I think what made me most proud, two things, and I won't run on because this is about you, but – you know, watching him go four over through four holes and then come back to make the cut. Mm-hmm. That's great. And play well on the weekend. I mean, made you proud, right? Because lots of people would pack it in. And the, But the other thing was how really, Sign of really, a good player. Yeah, for sure. But the other thing was I, I've always been a Tiger fan, but I'm more of a Tiger fan after watching. I mean, he was supportive out there of Andy. I mean, yeah. like. Yeah, it could be easy, you know. It could be easy to let that get away from you, right? And but like you got the feeling that he was trying to help him, and I think that's a cool thing. And I think, but I think that's also a cool thing about our game and what we do. Yeah, hopefully your viewers won't be offended by this language, and I won't say anything bad. But because I'm OAF, and they can figure <laughs> out that what that is, like you know, Tiger. I used to putt on the putting green at this place called Hartwell Golf Course, you know, uh, okay. when I was when I was like about 18, 19, 20 years old. Arguably, Tony, it was the best job I've ever had because nobody in the city was really that good a player. So I just stood on the putting green and played for $20 with everybody that walked up. Sounding like <laughs> I'm a gam- This whole conversation sounding like I'm a gambling degenerate, right? But anyways, arguably, it could have been the most lucrative job that I had. And there used to be this little kid on the side of the range that would either be hitting or on the side of the, the, the putting green that would be putting with our putting or chipping with the shag bag like a four- and five-year-old Tiger Woods. So I've got to watch him. I mean, we don't talk about this very much, probably longer than anybody. His first teacher was the first pro that I worked for as roommate. 
And then we've known all, you know, we've known all, all his teacher. I don't know Butch that well because we haven't spent that much time, but we've known his other teachers. And, you know, then he became, you know, better friends with John Cook. So obviously you can figure out their relationship. And I've got to watch him. And there's a side of Tiger that I don't think people say is Tiger's a golfer and he's a player right. and he's a champion and he gets the sport and he gets the way that you're supposed to be. And on the same story as the one that I watched with Andy when Patrick first became Patrick Cantlay and was the world number one amateur and the Open was going to be played at Olympic Club, we played a practice round with Tiger that, you know, Tiger had a big part of allowing him to do when he used to play those early Wednesday practice rounds. And Tiger was just wonderful with Patrick that day. And Tiger's always been so respectful and so wonderful to me, and he realizes that we're kind of from the same area, and he's always been kind about that. And then I've got to watch Patrick and Tiger build their relationship, you know, where they practice together and play together down in Jupiter. And then he captained the President's Cup team. And probably my favorite moment is on Saturday, Xander and Patrick were just starting to find their stride, but they were really tired. And Tiger was supposed to play at some time on Saturday. And Tiger basically pulled himself, you know, as the captain, which I think everybody's worried about him just going down there to be the player. And he was an excellent captain. The Americans were behind. And then he walked around with, with Xander and Patrick and rooted those guys on, and they won that match. And I've got a lot of beautiful memorabilia for a guy that's OAF in my office, as you might, ima- as you might imagine. But my favorite picture is a picture of Tiger and Patrick after that match with a big smile on their face, just all by themselves walking away, kind of whispering to each other like that away, and, you know, Tiger being so supportive. So he's a special, special cat, you know, without sounding to sound too cliche as yet. Yeah, he's a special guy. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great story. I mean, that's cool. Jamie, thanks. I, I know you I know you got lots of stuff going on there at the club, and, and uh, I know you get asked to do tons of these. I've, I've, one, I've enjoyed the opportunity to spend time with you over the last – year and a half or so and uh, yeah. I think the world of what you do and I appreciate your friendship and uh, appreciate you taking the time to sit with me we'll do this some more for sure yeah right back at you you're really good at what you do and like I said when we walk down the range and you see the people that know what they're doing I know you know what you're doing and I'm flattered that you invited us to talk about the sport that we love so much and uh, we will see you down the road. Have a Merry Christmas and a good holiday. And we'll see you at the start of the year. And for all the people that are listening, uh, keep playing well and swinging smooth and getting better at golf. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. As we go into year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships 
haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other, and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines, it's hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors Shrick's on Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines, and keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.